I need my bathrobe. <sighs> Go get it. Go get it. There's no heat over here in this part of the place. Man, look at too ah. professional. Oh, it's no yellow pineapple robe, but it'll do. It's got the same pattern as mine. Yeah. Well, plaid town. The only thing I don't like about it is it doesn't have a hood. My last bathrobe had a hood, but it wasn't as warm. Yeah. Is this one? Hoods are good. Yes, they are. It does oh. have a couple. It does have a couple pockets. They're just big enough to stick the cell phone in. Welcome in, good friends. I had to put some effort into not doing my Bob Dylan voice. Welcome in, everybody, to your favorite digestive podcast. So sit back, take a digestive, and get ready to be passed through the gaping maws of several big-tummied boys. But that's not the end of it. No, 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 no. You will then enter a Mobius strip, travel inside your mouth and out your own digestive tract, because you, dear listener, are the fourth tummy. That's right. You've got it. We're here on Romans Rumens, number six, a ruminant-based podcast featuring rumination by three big tum-tums. I am always, I'm Jeff. I'm Django. And I'm Roman. You got it. We're going to digest some comics, digest them, <laughs> and then digest them. <laughs> and and uh, we're going to digest some comics, digest those comics, and then digest them for you. <laughs> and here's the plan. Yeah. When we're done, we're going to just put them in you, dear listener, because you are the fourth stomach. You are the fourth stomach. It's like It's like when you go to the bar... Uh huh. And you order a whiskey, neat okay, okay, and a cud chaser. Yes, I know. You are our cud chaser. Yes, dear listener. Yes, nothing quite absorbs the taste of the whiskers like some partially digested dried grass <laughs> to plug up the sphincters of your tum tum. That's right. My mom listens to this podcast, and I'm proud of myself. <laughs> We're going to be talking about a slew of comic books this week, not exclusively but including fantastic four life story the excellent number one crossover number 11 human remains number five justice league incarnate number four monkey prince number one newburn number three and fantastic four the reckoning war alpha those are going to come at you rapid fire today my friends because we're trying to pack a lot into this huge week we had but before we get into that huge huge week i want to dip in to a little conversation from my friend the welmer well well welmer Happy episode six, but also episode 257. Legacy numbering is important. We also just reached the Book of Boba Fett episode six, which could also be episode 18 of The Mandalorian. The show has undoubtedly given us some highs and some lows, but perhaps most notably, with no complaints from me, the show seems to not be quite as much about Boba Fett as perhaps we had all been led to believe. What is a comic book or series that you have read that you started off believing it would be one thing, but ended up being something totally different and you liked it even more because of that p.s looking forward to joining you guys for some tummy time soon um that is a really good question so when have our expectations for a comic book series been totally subverted hmm 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 i mean i would say my expectations for doomsday clock did were not borne out in the story um but that's not that's 
a pretty light version of this. I don't know if you guys are current with Boba Fett, but the book of Boba Fett, like the last two episodes have been heavy on the Mando stuff, Okay, which was a huge relief to me because I frankly almost dropped the show. Man, that lit. There was no Western music in <laughs> that. Uh, see, I thought I thought I thought all that Western stuff would really appeal to you, Django. When I watched the first few episodes, I think Django must be loving this. He said there wasn't enough Western music. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that latest episode when they did the uh, when Luke ran through. Well, spoilers for Jeff and anyone who hasn't seen it. But when Luke once runs through the woods with Grogu on his back and he, Wait, he does this, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, I watched and, Mandalorian season two, and, and he does and he does the exact same sequence and jumps and everything as he does in Return with uh, Yoda. That was cool. Yeah, so was Luke a puppet in that? No, Grogu's a puppet. He filmed all that stuff when he was a young man, and they just didn't ever use the footage. That's smart in answer that. to Will's yeah. question, I can't help but feel a little spurred on by a book that we'll be talking about today. But um, when Peter Milligan and Mike Allred initially took over what was X-Force and then mm-hmm. became the Ecstatics, <laughs> it was them doing X-Force. And like after a couple of episodes or maybe in the first issue, they killed off that entire team and brought on an entirely new team and then went about killing them off in fun and interesting ways. But I think that that was a pretty, and then after a handful of issues, they renamed the series ecstatic. So I think that that was a pretty cool instance of a thing drastically changing its tone and direction, but I read it in collections. So I wasn't reading it as issues coming out. And I know that that was a polarizing thing. Some people loved it and other people hated it. But I, if I were coming yeah. out at the time, I would have been super excited to the direction that it was randomly taking. That That's an excellent example. Cause yeah, at the time <laughs> we had, we had, ah, ha, I didn't even realize um, we had people that were dropping it left and right. And other people, the minority of people that were like, Oh, this is great. This is so subversive and great example. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, but it's probably <laughs> just on my mind because, uh, because of this, I would also say on the topic of this week's time is crossover. Like the first six issues mm-hmm. of that series bear very little resemblance in my mind to anything that's happened in the last, like, you know, four issues. But yeah. you know that, Will, because I know you're reading that book. But I'm, I'm much preferring this meta stuff than the kind of bit about the comic shop and the dome and the woman that got out and what's going on there. But I guess we're kind of tying it back to that now. Yeah, I, I don't have very many examples except the one that I always go to, which is like, I can't imagine being somebody in 1989 and picking up that shadow comic and finding out he's got Uzis and <laughs> it's set in the modern day like that. That would have been a very different thing, I think. Very different thing, Django says. Great question, Will. Thanks for writing in. You too, dear stomach, (laughs) can send us a voicemail or email when you email it to our email. However, we need to make sure that Roman gets to answer his question. Sorry, Roman. I transitioned out. (laughs) That's okay. Um, Though I feel like I'm going to go back to one I always mention too. It's Plastic uh, Man. Grant Close, Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Mm, Oh, Um, yeah. Because not only was it, well, probably not the first thing I read by him. That was probably in some Batman Legends of the Dark Knight thing. But yeah, it was, you went into it expecting the usual kind of just Animal Man, Strange Adventures type, weird adventures. And, and it got all meta and, and, and philosophical and sociopolitical and everything. It was great. Though Gary Morrison kind of, I mean, you could say about his Doom Patrol too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I guess, yeah. you know, you can almost just point it to when certain writers get a property, they're probably yeah. probably going to do something interesting with it. Oh, like how about Miracle Man when Alan Moore was doing it? Like the direction oh. that took was awesome. Yeah. It's super yeah. dark and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got some juice out of that lime. Oh, squeezed it. Squeezed that, squeezed that stone and got some blood. The lime to the coconut. Yeah, Roman knows. Okay, 
you'll find that there's a theme this week and it is that I read some comics I don't normally read so that I could be involved in the love lives of Roman and Django. And one of those books we're going to talk about first is Fantastic Four Life Story number six by Mark Russell. And I forget the artist's first name, but Sean is Oxy. Is Oxy. Yeah. Uh, I dropped into this because both of these guys have really liked this series. I believe Roman had given previous issues a 10. I really liked the idea of the whole Galactus thing that was going on. And I thought I was just going to get in here. See if I can't enjoy myself. See if there's a hidden banana reference that Django was going to see. And I didn't see a single <laughs> banana reference with Mark Russell here on this one. But uh, carrots. lead me away, boys. Yeah, they did. They did. The, uh, the carrot thing made me think about it. So the, like this whole series has been kind of uh, like the journey of Mr. Fantastic, knowing that Galactus is coming and warning everybody that climate change. I mean, Galactus is almost here and we have to deal with it. And then in the last issue, number five, Galactus shows up and in the end of it, Reed is in a wheelchair and not mentally here anymore. And I thought that's a super weird way to end this series. And then we found out that there's another issue and this is that issue. And I'm conflicted about it. It, it doesn't, it wraps up some things, but it doesn't really seem to fit with what we were told the, the through line of the story was going to be, which was the, the Galactus threat. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Roman? Because you've been reading this along with me. Um, I've been reading along with you. I, we've been reading along with each other. Side by uh, side, tummy by tummy. Yes. <laughs> I did think the ending of this was a little weird just because I wasn't expecting a uh, semi-happy ending for mm-hmm. for Reed and Sue. Mm-hmm. Um, but other, I mean, I, other than that, I mean, I thought it kind of fit. I mean, I, I liked the nods to all the classic beats of the FF, you know, the mad thinker around. And and I love that Dr. Doom in this series is is seriously evil. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it, it was kind of a unexpected epilogue. It felt like, even though I don't think it was actually written as an epilogue, I think it was always intended to be six issues. Yeah. But yeah, it, it did. I don't know. I just thought it would be a sadder, more read left alone and horribly alone ending old men with dementia ain't sad enough for you roman nope <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he's completely non-communicative throughout this entire issue right except the one moment where he pulls his his severed robot head out of a drawer to save the day he doesn't communicate yeah. at all he's stuck no. in his own mind i mean i do like we get to see <laughs> his his uh mindscape with his conscious where he's talking to johnny storm mm-hmm a figment of his imagination that was nice it would have been a much rougher issue without that yeah i like seeing cap show up at the end too it's like of course of course 95 year old body (laughs) captain america shows up to beat the shit out of doom who else is going to do it yeah that was a great moment and his line about as long as there's fascists keep on showing up he'll keep on showing up yeah (laughs) i like that i did like reed's internal monologue with you know the things his regrets and the things he should have done differently and Mm -hmm. you know in classic reed way going oh i saved the universe but i've you know destroyed my family i I really like the line it's super mark russell to me but he's like i wanted to tell you that i loved you a million times but i didn't not because it didn't matter but because it mattered so much like i I like that i really relate to that you guys I really liked it all. I um, And I might be working from an advantage point because I just liked all this stuff and it made sense as a capstone because I don't know what came before it. So I just made up a, the context of a thing that made this be a perfect ending to it. Um, but 
I, you know, I think it worked really well as sort of like an old man read, old man Marvel universe thing. You got the bit of like the old heroes kind of passing the torch on to the younger heroes. I, uh, I really liked Sue's future foundation costume with kind of like a almost like a Kirby esque flair and the way that the, the skirt fits. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess what I particularly liked about it and what sort of made it make sense to me is that the Mark Russell like written narration framing device of this whole issue is sort of about time. And the final statement is like, you know, uh, sim- time is simply how we make sense of the universe and how it makes sense of us in the end. Time destroys us all. And yet it leaves us so much greater. I love that as like a meditation on the relationship between comics and time, because this series is unique in that it actually allows time to exist for Mm -hmm. these characters. Whereas it doesn't exist otherwise, because you know, like it's not issues by issues, decade by decade. So I kind of like that meta thing of just sort of like, it's about time. And this whole series is kind of about time um, and the impact it plays on those characters. So I, I really liked that. And, you know, Reed is sad and a bummer. I'm glad he didn't end up, end up alone because I'd like Reed and Sue together, but I've shouted that a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good comic. Just a, just a weird, a weird issue in a, in a series, I think for me. I think I'm becoming, I worry about my, my internal bitterness because at the, at the end of it, that line about in, in the end, time destroys us all. I was like, yep, sure does. And the next thing, and yet it leaves us so much greater. I was like, nope, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, I... just, it just destroys us all. And I'm like, wow, I am so bitter. It's awful. Roman, I interpreted, well, yeah. So for sure, I've watched you get more bitter. But um, <laughs> but I kind of interpreted that as the idea that like when these characters are allowed to have time, like these life stories, stories have allowed them to have, they're kind of sad stories and they end up in kind of depressing places with like the Spider-Man one and with this one. And so, like, I looked at that, like, and yet time leaves us so much greater kind of as a statement of like, these characters are better, you know, left untouched by time or just kind of like a statement, um, you know, in the end, time does destroy them all when they're allowed to have time, but it also leaves them so much greater. I don't know, like, there's just the kind of the relationship with the amber nature of those comics, but I guess time doesn't leave them greater. It only destroys them and you as well. I'm, I'm understanding from tonight's podcast every hour every hour closer and closer i gave it an 8.5 uh i gave it a i gave it a nine nice jeez i give it a seven and a half maybe i was grumpy i actually gave it a nine and i changed it to an 8.5 based on this conversation oh sorry mark roman is sorry Django's just out there making people like your books less mark (laughs) (laughs) you gotta have a word with that guy um Let's dip into a weird conversation next, everyone. Let's check in with The Excellent by Peter Milligan and Mark and Laura Allred. Those three have been doing this. I believe Laura Allred does all the coloring in this one. Yeah, she does. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So this is a really bizarre thing that exists because it follows up pretty much immediately from the one-shot giant size ecstatics or whatever that came out like like six months, I feel like, before Hickman took over the X-Men. And it introduced this dude with the blue thing and sort of the yellow mask face and the, you know, this stand in for you go girl. And I, the daughter of you go girl. So I don't really remember that one shot super well. And I read the main series like 11 years ago. So I, I was fuzzy on a fair number of details, but what kind of surprised me about this book is how much it didn't seem to forget the details and how like it felt very similar to the tone and direction that that book originally came out as. And I'm, I'm curious what you thought of it, Roman. Uh, I had, I enjoyed it though. There's so much that I've forgotten since I read those original ecstatics issues. That's how and, I was and, feeling as well. Yeah. And I read that one shot, what feels like now 
two years ago, two and a half years ago. I mean, it was, um, it was at least, it was probably two and a half years ago. Yeah. Okay. And I did read that, but I don't remember anything from that, but this was fun. I mean, the one, you know, my, my, my favorite, probably my favorite ecstatics character, Vivisector is in it. <laughs> and, and I, and there's a scene where, you know, you think he gets killed maybe. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I killed my favorite one. And it does seem like they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, I couldn't remember if that was the, tv set or not but uh but you know that's what happens in milligan's x books is everyone dies yeah i i guess i just kind of wanted to talk about it because i think that the original one was a really interesting meta statement on reality tv which was coming really into its own at that point and um it was an interesting analysis of you know like superheroes as reality tv and i think that this one is you know kind of attempting to make a similar statement about the way media is right now and it seems to be informed by some trump stuff and like twitter and like essentially like some fake news like this bad crew is misrepresenting reality and the fact that they're misrepresenting it is making it truth to other people and so it seems you know baked into the current time but also kind of reaching in a similar way that uh, the original series did kind of in the way that like the third season of Twin Peaks, I think was very different than the original stuff, but kind of still similarly revolutionary. Um, Is that, is that mechanic where they're making people believe it? And so then it's becoming their reality. Is that in a similar way to the department of truth? No, 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 no. Like it's, it's just that like, they're like, they're misrepresenting some events that have happened and they're like, well, that's not what happened. And they're like, it doesn't matter. A bunch of people saw it and think that that's what happened. Oh, okay. So, so not actual objective truth, but like just right. sort of like the idea that if you tell people loud and quickly, that kind of becomes their de facto truth rather than an attack on the ivermectin factory. And we need to exactly beat the, the libs. I, you know, I don't I don't know that I have a ton to say about this. I'm going to keep reading it. This is the cover. You know, this was solicited at the end of that one shot years ago. So oh. I've been excited about it. But yeah, I don't know. I'll definitely keep on reading it. I didn't feel like this first issue like I didn't enjoy it as much as say the last issue of Department of Truth, but I like these characters and I like the All Reds and Milligan's writing in general. So I'll definitely stick with it. Um, curious to see what he does with those themes now, because now those themes seem so prevalent in so much media. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious. Well, what what can what can Milligan say differently about it? Yeah, I, I agree. I I think that they're going to attempt to have an interesting conversation. My I guess the only fear is does it lean too heavily on needing to know or remember the stuff that came before it because like I like kind of like what you're saying I enjoyed this issue but um not as much as I'd hoped I would and I I'm at a point right now where I am blaming myself for not remembering the old stuff enough before I'm going to blame it for not being great if that makes so sense maybe I should have read it since I haven't read the old stuff to answer that question oh I think so I gave it an 8.0 yeah yeah, I'm curious to see, like, like Mr. Sensitive, are people going to really understand what his deal is in this? Right, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a lot of history with these characters they don't explain here. So, yeah. 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 Um, you gave it any point oh? Yeah. Uh, I actually hadn't great hadn't come up with the grade yet because I couldn't decide. Yeah. Um, I think I'll I think I'll also even if it sounds like I'm just going on your coattails, I think I'll also give it an eight. You can have my coattails. Okay. They can be Thank you. our coattails. Yay! We just ah. get a tail. Um. Oh, oh, talk on the top. I mean, that would be a good segue into Monkey Prince, but I do think I said crossover next in the rundown. So Django, do you want to lead us into the old crossover station? I think you mean the halftone box is what I like to call this one. Oh, you do always say there's a new issue, a halftone box out. Um, every, Every time I think that maybe this series can't get more meta, it manages to get more meta. 
And in this issue, we get to hang out with Donnie Cates himself wearing, is he wearing a necklace or a t-shirt? Of... It's the t-shirt with the, okay. the gods, the god sword thing. The god country sword. Yeah. And uh, we, we learn that he is probably the person writing this story that we're reading. And there, the, the government has asked him to write an ending to it. Um, and in the meantime, while he tries to come up with the, the right story that they approve and that works, works story-wise, he's turned into basically an Alan Moore with more tattoos kind of looking dude. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the big, the big exciting reveal at the end is that, uh, the powers characters go and meet Negan from walking dead in a baseball diamond. And I just got the joke because he's got the baseball bat and he's <laughs> in a baseball diamond. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys about that. So, and I never finished reading walking dead or watching the show. Um, and I was going to ask you, I knew that was Negan, but is that Negan's face or is that Donnie Cates's face? Mm, that's a I good point. Cause it, yeah, it, but it's an interesting point because we really never see anybody, but all or Adler draw Negan. So yeah, it, I had to kind of look at it as well. I, that, that thought occurred to me as well, Roman, but I, I felt settled on thinking that it was Negan. So it's probably just Negan. Yeah. yeah. So far, anytime a character has shown up, it's been it's been just just a pretty straight version of that character plucked plucked from the comic yeah. books. Yeah. So since uh, I never finished that series, did Negan survive that series? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, spoilers for Walking Dead, I guess. But uh, <laughs> instead of killing him when he gets the chance, Rick imprisons him, and eventually Negan gets out and ends up kind of walking off into the wilderness and. Uh, Walking dead off into the world. Rome, ah, <laughs> my man. <laughs> I liked crossover eleven a lot. I'm glad I got back on this train for this book. It is a lot of fun. The meta it stuff. Just, it is exactly a train. Yeah, and I, I was like, oh fucking a. It's Donny Cates writing Donny Cates, thinking he's so cool because <laughs> the dude thinks he's so cool. But I love the writer that he's like, I know this sucks. Like, like it's there's a very, <laughs> very meta like. I know I'm being very pretentious like I and I can forgive that level of pretense when I feel like they're being uh, like meta and on the nose about it and being like I know doesn't it suck to read me writing me and you're like yeah. it does you pretentious prick but also I think I think I'd like the guy I think I'd like him before he got all famous probably but yeah oh I'm sure he's fun to hang out with now yeah I bet he is I'll bet he just doesn't want to hang out with you no one wants to hang out with me, Jacob. Not you just oh. the, the the royal you Jeff oh oh I, I'm just still super pleased and giggly about the way they use halftones and when you get closer to a character the halftones are bigger and when you're farther away they're smaller and like negan doesn't use halftones because i'm assuming the walking dead didn't use halftones they just used shades of gray and they could have smaller dots yeah that's that's, that's like oh, cool that's little production that's a cool stuff. little yeah i didn't think about that aspect of negan but you're right that they because he wasn't ever in color he doesn't need to be polka dotted mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Good stuff. You guys. It is. Everyone should be reading this book. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. It's like, once again, just if you didn't get to if you if I wasn't able to read as many comics as I wanted, I could only have 10. I'm a, I'm embarrassed to think about what percentage of those 10 would be Donnie Kate's books. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And this one mostly because the uh, the preacher dad looks a lot like your friend and mine. Notable character actor. Oh, fuck. I forgot his name. Never mind. <laughs> What's he been in? The Righteous Gemstones. Never saw it. Every Coen John Goodman. Movie. John Goodman. Oh. Uh, Andrew, can you stitch yeah. that in? Just like make it sound like I'm not a dink. <laughs> Don't ask I... people to do editing for you, Django. It's so hard to find it in the audio file. <laughs> That's... That's Did you ever the, try? Okay. I've never edited in my life. 
Oh, good. I thought <laughs> I, I'm glad you didn't think that that was anything but a bit. Oh, I always try. Oh, fuck. Those are the reasons that I have those memories of like, there's something he wants me to cut out here. I wonder there's this like simmering resentment going on. Oh, it's a lot deeper than just that, my baby boy. <laughs> uh, Roman, oh, anything it's a to full boil to make sure and wrap up before we get out of crossover? No, because Django said full boil, and that just made me think of boil on uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Made me so. think of boils in my skin, which oh, is what wow. he gives me when I'm around him. <laughs> Made me think about a boiling pot of resentment. Soup. Soup also. Yeah. I like soup. We could have a soup cast next time. <laughs> oh, we should. Every episode, we're bringing different books into the old stew pot. We're going to make a little Creole little gumbo by the end of each episode <laughs> for the next season. It's all Creole cooking down here in the bayou, Django. <laughs> Cooking Creole with Django on the Bayou. Comic book talk. Real comic book talk. Scrimps. Scrimps. Gotta. Got and a little up. extra Donny Cates in there. <laughs> uh, I would give crossover a nine. Nine. Straight up nine, guys. I gave it a straight up nine as well. I'll give it a straight up eight. Mm, straight up. Straight I like up that. Eight. Another thing I did this week was read a number of books that I haven't been reading, like Life Story, which I already mentioned. Another one of those books was Human Remains, number five, because I was tired of hearing both of these guys talk about how great it was. I did read issue number one when it came out, and so I just thought I'd skip issues two, three, and four and see what I could make sense of. And, uh, and I'm excited to be a part of this conversation now. Gosh, I don't even know if skipping those issues would hurt my enjoyment of it. Of this specific issue? Of this specific series. Like every issue, I feel like I am I have to reacclimate to the story and re-meet this probably nine character cast. It's a big and, cast. Yeah, like we learn little tiny bits about a lot of cast members and uh, the the creatures in each issue. But mostly it just feels like here's... Here's six groups of people and something really sad is going to happen to at least one of them this issue. Brace yourself. This is written by Peter Milligan with art by Sally Cantirino. Anyway. What do you think, Roman? I think it would lessen the impact a little bit, having not read the in-between issues because, well, we would have missed, like, say, and I and I also have trouble keeping track of the characters. We would have missed, say, what's-her-name's son getting killed by the creatures. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't have that. You know, and of course that's affecting her in this issue. And that's we wouldn't true. have seen and we wouldn't have seen the uh oh the young married couple whose marriage is suffering because they can't ex they can't have sex, they can't express their love for each other because that'll draw the creatures. Right. So we wouldn't see that build up to the the breaking point they've reached. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I guess the other probably downside yeah. is that like when you meet I, I don't know if we met these seance sisters paris and london or whatever for the first i don't know if that was the They're first new. time today or like yeah. not so like just in terms of like not being able to know when new information is new or if it's just something you've missed was a thing that affected it i couldn't also was trying to remember like is it when they feel emotions these things show up so i was even trying yeah. to like remember kind of the, the premise of it but i did like it i <laughs> although what i'll say is uh when this uh professor hopkins shows up she says hey beautiful you working and she says, fuck off, you, Professor Hopkins? And he's like, oh, uh, uh, Jesus, I didn't recognize you. Uh, that's not how you cover up that situation. You'd be like, I knew it was you. I was just joking. Hello. Like, hey, you. I was just joking. Yeah, so he mistakes her for a prostitute in a really nice suburban neighborhood full yeah. of mansions, which... That, that was my problem with it. But you're totally right. You you would be better at covering for that than I would be. Oh, I've just clearly. been busted yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Always, always uh, locked and loaded for that response. Yeah. 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 And the fact that there was some kind of racial under 
tone though, because because he 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 says that from his car at her who's and her back is to him so he's just basing it on like you know i don't know her ass and her legs lady of the night i thought it was awesome uh, the every, issue every, or that every, instance well i thought that interaction was pretty great and <laughs> i enjoyed the conflict in that in those two pages but just in general i really like even though clearly i can't remember what happens from issue to issue i really think that the i identify with the characters every time especially and, that guy in the car <laughs> professor hopkins <laughs> If I had a dollar like, for every time that happened. <laughs> I could afford it. Um, <laughs> the, the character work that, that happens in here and just sort of the, the really slow doling out of, of the creature's powers is interesting to me. And just mm-hmm. the way that the, the lady runs up and rescues the arguing couple in the street by calming them down and, and mm-hmm. getting them to chill out. Uh, like there's there, in, in this world, there's no way to throw yourself in front of a thing to save the person because then you just all die. And she has to do that in kind of a, like a high risk calming them down way, which, you know, the, the, the place that she's in at that point. And her her way of dealing with it is was really interesting to me. Um, and then seeing the creature is trying to communicate with the military dude. I thought that was super cool. And and like I'm hoping that we learn that the creatures aren't bad. They're just bad. Misunderstood. At, no, I, I I think like bad at bad at being around people. You know, like if if we had um, an ant farm and wanted to pick up an ant, like, like they can't 50, hug 50 the guy in the would car. Crush it. Yeah, they can't hug the guy in the car. They just go in there and and kill it because that's their their way of showing kindness no wonder that resonates with you i get that idea (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how to interact with human without causing pain (laughs) hug me fuckhead (laughs) (laughs) hug me fuckhead um i gave this book an eight i think it is one of the bestly written poorly drawn comics out there um it is not Uh, super great art but it's yeah, not that... deal breaker, but it's it's like uh, it's a well-written comic and the character work, I think, is right on the money, like both of you said. Um, so I'm going to give it about an eight because it's it does have a, the look of kind of like a junior high art project. No offense. I give it an eight and a half and mostly because of the art, because there's even a character in there who I think changes their hair and looks enough like another character that, that when their hair changes, I get. Confused. Yeah, that confused me too. I, mean, I love the new stuff in this issue, like you said, Django, with the one creature trying to communicate. And though I had the, I I was thinking it was trying to communicate at first benignly, but then something by the end of the issue, and I don't have it in front of me, by the end of the issue made me think, oh, it's trying to communicate so it can take over people and cause even more havoc. But maybe could, that's, it, yeah. Of course, maybe that's my own bleakness again. But, <laughs> but yeah, I time. had the <laughs> Yeah. Damn time. But I had the, uh, problem with the art too when that character changed their hair for a while there i was like wait is there a third character that looks just like these other two characters mm-hmm. oh my gosh but i still gave it a eh, i gave it a nine because i keep on thinking this would make such a great horror movie with the right director and yeah. i i would probably be in that eight and a half nine realm if i had been reading all of the issues um to that point roman texted me this afternoon yesterday afternoon roman texted Django night at some point and he said chris burnham did a bunch of art in justice league incarnate summarizing all of the crises that have happened in the dc universe so i had to go down and get that asap Django, i'm curious did you do the same no i didn't i haven't really left the house very much this week that's not such a bad thing what do you what did so i read this issue room i read the whole dang thing 
I would divide my Gosh. scores between the whole issue and the Chris Burnham pages. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I wish. Yeah. I wish they had uh, Chris Burnham pages were great. And it was fun reading like this summation. It's like 10 pages summation of the various uh, crises in the DCU right up through. Uh, death Metal 2. Yeah. I death had to metal. look it up. Yeah. Okay, so it's Death Metal two, and then the ones right, and then the one right after Death Metal. I was like, well, I don't remember this one. <laughs> I know I was I was suffering from the same thing. I was like, okay, I remember like that we're no longer the center of the multiverse, and there's like two planets there. And I was like, what was that the end of? Because I remember liking that, and that was actually the end of Death Metal two, which surprised me because I don't think fondly of either of the metal events, frankly. But <laughs> yeah, and I don't, and actually, I don't even. Earth Omega sounded a little bit familiar, but I don't know if I actually read Death Metal 2. They have like, yeah, you didn't. I remember that actually now you mentioned it. But at the end, they yeah. were sort of like, there's two spots and one is like an Elseworlds world and one is like, like an unknown yeah. world or something. And but yeah, Earth Omega is the, the evil, dark, mysterious Earth. So has Justice League Incarnate as a series been good? This is another one I just dropped in on. Um, it mostly has. I mean, it's it's a series I don't think Django and would like because it's just not at all i had that same thought yeah big goofy (laughs) dc cosmic malarkey (laughs) and it's fun i mean i I like all most of that kind of stuff they're on different earths and traveling between earths and earths are being destroyed and there's you know all the different versions of characters we know and love and and just big goofy dark side stuff (laughs) in the series they create uh DC's version of Marvel's Captain Universe, kind of. It's Dr. Multiverse. And the multiverse itself created her to be its defender, though she doesn't she doesn't do a very good job in the last two issues she's been in. <laughs> what I like about this, and you know, I'm still trying to just kind of like figure out my feelings about Joshua Williamson's writing as a whole. Um, he references a lot of Morrison stuff. He's clearly a big fan of Morrison and talking about that sort of stuff and trying to play in that same sandbox. I really like the way that they're able to essentially draw a line from the first crisis up until now and provide general, a a general A then B then C idea, you know, like a linear continuity that has existed. Whereas I don't think that that does super exist. You know, I think that you kind of have to be like, oh, right. Yeah. It was the great darkness. This whole, you know, like kind of rather than just the way that they come up when they're happening. So I, I think that he does a really good job. Like his model for the DC universe and everything is is pretty good because while I was reading more of this issue, I was also then having the feeling of just like, they really need somebody in the DC offices that like, I feel like that whole ship is kind of rudderless. Like they need a direction. They need somebody who has a belief in what the universe is, the multiverse is, what, like what is going on. They keep doing this half ass kind of half-assed, like unified storytelling and then also not at all. Mm-hmm. and so that that i'm kind of like okay like either commit to it or don't do it i don't really like so the 10 or so pages that you send about the burnham art are i think fantastic i think it's great writing and it does a great job to kind of spell out like tie a bunch of causality between these seemingly unrelated events that have happened over the last 50 or whatever years um but i think that the story that he's then telling with the much lesser than art is you know, a little bit haphazard is, is yeah. was my feeling. Yeah. And especially, and I don't think, uh, I don't remember who the artist was on the previous issues, um, but I don't, I don't, I may be wrong, but I don't think it was either Mike Norton or Andre Bresson who okay. finished out this issue. Cause yeah, the art, in fact, maybe it was Gary Frank. Um, Cause yeah, the art after Burnham, I, I was, I felt the same. I was like, Oh, this all of a sudden it's, it's uh, like a DC animated adventures 
book art. <laughs> yeah. But if you can in 10 pages kind of give me a brief connection of like original crisis to final crisis to the Gentry to like, that's, that's pretty effective storytelling. I'm also looking at the, it's actually co-written by somebody named Dennis Culver. So I'm not sure how it was all oh. split or who did what, but um, yeah, you know, I like this kind of stuff more than none. You know, I, I, I like this. It made me really want to read Multiversity again. They're releasing absolute editions of that. And I will be buying that and probably oh. doing a podcast about each issue. Um, Jeff, I'm not doing it yet. You <laughs> said I'm probably doing it yet. And I think that one's still a ways away and I'll be done with my other podcast. But I you know, that's that's one I'd like to do. That's what I was thinking while I was reading this. But also, I, I literally need to be paying somebody to be stopping me from starting projects. <laughs> like I need somebody to be like, whoop, 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 not right now. You can't order that Reuben for lunch. Or we, need, or, or, or we just need like a duplicator ray and make a Bizarro Jeff that could then do oh, other other podcasts. I would hate a Bizarro or regular Jeff. One with a solid stomach that can handle all foods. All foods and pass them healthily. A morning Jeff. Tummy. We'll call it a morning Jeff. Uh, a Jeff in morning. There is there is one big uh, thing in here that happens in the non-Chris Burnham pages that that I loved because it parallels something Morrison did with Darkseid and his Omega sanction against a Batman. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yep, that was good. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> and that was and that was a nice page. Um, yeah, it was nice. There is some some nice stuff in that issue. I gave the Burnham pages a ten. Oh yeah. I gave the burnt like between the art and the succinct and I think shareable bit like history of DC continuity there. I think it's really well done comic booking. I would give the issue as a whole or the other portion of it a 7.5. Yeah, I gave, yeah, Burnham Page is definitely a 10. I mean, they could collect those 10 pages and kind of just release that as like a mini summation comic pamphlet for people to get caught up. I totally agree. (laughs) That would be a great free comic book day for them to give out. That that would be really smart. Hmm. Yeah. And then the rest of the issue, I'll, I'll give uh, a 7.5, maybe an 8. Nice. Yeah. I'm excited to see where they're going with it, though. Apparently, they've got a big crisis plan for 2023 oh. that they've kind of been talking about since 2020, I think. So, yeah, there's only one more issue of this series. Yeah. So, and I so bet on, Williamson will be heading it. On this podcast, uh, the Romans, the Romans, the uh, Romans podcast. Right. Um, do we, I don't, I don't think that we have a convention of a gooey duck. I don't think we've mentioned a gooey duck once because this is a land animal. I kind of thought the podcast, the, the cud was shaping up to be a, a the equivalent of a gooey duck. That's kind of what I was it's, thinking. Like, like the cud, cud is a digestive bucket? plug that you would exude when you were very excited. I could get that. Like a cud bucket? No, no. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. No, I, I mean, like I like this, the I like yes this and, no but, but like, that we're doing. Yeah, oh. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I've done a lot of yes anding today. <laughs> Okay, bud, but like cud bucket is gross, you know. It is, but I kind of like it. I think cud plug is better. Cud plug makes me feel that comic book that there was what's an alternative comic called cud. You burst a cud plug. Absolutely, absolutely. I Uh, slipped a cud plug. Robert, ooh, do you do you guys know about cow magnets? I used to collect them when I was a kid. Eight twenty five for that book. Eight (laughs) twenty. I I I, what's a cow magnet? This is a different book, Jeff. This is this is. A... Oh, okay, okay. As long as you're transferring us into Cockburn number three, then yeah, we'll, I support we'll, it. We'll get to Newburn in in just a minute here. But the <laughs> the cow magnets are about the size of of probably your ring finger and the shape of your ring finger, and they're magnets. And it's something that farmers will put inside of a cow's stomach because the cow will eat barbed wire and other metal things that a cow shouldn't eat, and they don't want it to go through and and wreck them. You say so you they... got really into them. Yeah, I collected them for a while. 
wow. You can find them at like like Western stores and and you know places in, buckets. in Wyoming and stuff. Um, and what I found out as an adult is that also sometimes they'll cut a hole in the side of a cow so that they mm -hmm. have access to one of their stomachs. I've seen that. And they can pull gross like hazardous things out of the cow's guts, which just made me real glad I'm not a cow. And made me glad that I can read comics like Newburn number three by Chip Zdarsky and Jacob Phillips. Another perfect segue. That's what I'm known for. Cow-based cow <laughs> segues. Oh, boys, this comic is so freaking good. Uh, so this issue, the problem that is presented is that uh, a lot of different members of gangs are being murdered. And they're up to like 20-some bodies. And it's all different factions of the underworld are seeing their members murdered and so newburn and his, his wait assistant, it's newburn new newburn oh okay and his assistant emily are summoned to what is it called the black castle i think it is it's like yeah. this crazy yeah the black castle it's it's neutral ground for all of the, the different crime families to have a conversation and people disappear there sometimes and whatever's decided there is law and we just kind of see Newburn and Emily going around trying to solve this, solve these murders. And we, unlike the previous issues, I think we're almost given enough to solve this. Like it, it's almost Agatha Christie style, where if you were as smart as the lead character, you could have figured it out. Um, and uh, they, they end up taking care of the problem just in time. So the mystery is solved in this issue? This mystery, yeah, I think the mystery has been solved in each issue, right, Roman? Oh, they're one-shot one mysteries? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I read the, the first. The through line, I think, is just the relationship between Newburn and Emily. Like, he's he's yeah. training her. Who knows if he's going to pass the baton or what? Yeah, and also Shake and and like this one, along with that through line, there's because of the result of this mystery and it being solved, Newburn gets an offer from the cops, so his relationship with the, the city at large is changing too, as the series goes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This, yeah. This was a great, another great issue. And in fact, it set me down a rabbit hole at, at work today, actually. Cause uh, I had to look up because when they mentioned they go to the black cat or they take, they're taken to the black castle um, by some mobsters. And it mentions in here that the black castle oh, her in Emily's journal, she mentions that, uh, it started in 1990, effectively replacing the commission, which was the committee that oversaw the Italian mafia in NYC. So I had to look up the commission if that was a real thing. That was a real thing. Hmm. And it was the governing body of the mafia in America from like the 1930s up until they say it ended in the in the um, early 90s. But then it mentions, oh, but then there was supposedly another secret meeting in this year and another one in this year. Nice. Um, so yeah, this whole, this is all based in real life stuff. Yeah. I, I got to catch up, boys. I need you to remind me of this next time an issue comes out because, you know, I love the Sopranos. I love the Godfather. I love mafia things. And this Black Castle thing sounds like a very, a thing that's right up my alley. It yeah. is really cool. But I understand why because every issue of Newburn after the first, there's been three issues, second and third issues, both of them, I, was, I skipped over them at first because I was like, oh, what's that? I don't know what that is. And oh, wait, did I read issue two? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> I think the covers are off-putting, personally. Yeah, they don't they, really grab you. Plus, They the look plus, like Gideon Falls to me. Like I keep yeah. thinking it's Gideon Falls. <laughs> plus, plus the title doesn't grab me at all. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the name of the guy, but it doesn't. 
it's not memorable. And there's like kind of a re- almost religious iconography, like in the inn or a symbol or something that like, like yeah, the, the inn has a font that looks like it belongs in a, in a Bible. Yeah, like all of it has made me feel like it's a religious horror book. <laughs> not at all. It's just a crime book. Yeah, I read the first one. Yeah, I I, I got to catch up though. That that does sound really good, and it's Chips the Dirk Dirk. So yeah, and the backup story um probably good if i could understand what was going on yeah i didn't get that either i i, I was Every like is time. this is this setting up something for previous issues or is it just a standalone story it's continuing from the previous issues but oh there's, it is <laughs> there's, there's something wrong with it and i don't know like i hate to say that about somebody's art but it there's there's something missing in the storytelling that just confuses me and it might be all indicative like all all kind of encapsulated in the final panel of this issue where you see a dude holding something you don't know what it is and you can't see his head but he is somebody that we know who who we've seen it's just like i don't know some weird choices in there yeah i was trying to figure out okay is that i was trying to figure out by his coat who that was yeah and yeah you can't tell if he's holding a bottle or a vcr or what that is (laughs) a knife with a weird reflection yeah yeah and yeah there's something because the fact i because newburn the main story i I remember it as soon as I start reading. I remember the previous issue, or at least right. the basics. But the backup story, nothing in there clues me in that I read a previous installment of that story. Yeah. And of course, uh, I, did, I, I, really I give it a nine. Um, I also, wait, where's my newborn score? I also gave it a nine. Hey, nine bros. Hey, nine bros. Hey, Django, did you read Monkey Prince? I did not. You didn't oh read God. Monkey Prince. Oh, believe it or not, I didn't read Monkey Prince. I just, <laughs> like, we record a podcast with Roman. Yeah, I don't care. I didn't want to read it. I don't. Yeah, how much I love monkeys. And also, I do. you love everything Gene Lu and Yang writes. I do. And I am a monkey. And I was talking about Chinese Django. mythology. Oh, oh, sorry. I mean, <laughs> sorry, you obviously. This is the obvious Roman book. But this is this was Jing. You recorded a Roman podcast. You like Gene Lu and Yang. I don't really like Anthropology pomorphic dc characters for the most part yeah that's that's you're right that's a solid i i i don't either that you, and, but you just put words to a feeling that i have so was it 80 pages was it really fat it felt no it was no, it no. was very well paced it was a it, regular comic it looked yeah. onerous to me so i avoided it nice the word onerous monkey prince what do you got oh my god i loved it loved it so much um from the very first panel, which is a cloud, which, you know, if you know the monkey prince or Dragon Ball Z, I mean, clouds, the clouds are very important. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that, but they're even drawn the same way as like Goku's Nimbus, 25 pages Django, so a tiny bit longer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I I loved it. I mean, this it, this kid who kind of develops a traumatic version of asthma in a way because of being a little kid and walking into the living room and seeing Batman beating the crap out of his dad. <laughs> um and after that, the poor kid, every time fluttering black curtains or bats or rain, it, it triggers him and he has this attack. But it's not like quite asthma. It's E-E, which is a monkey sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a monkey sound. But it, it leads to him getting picked on right. by the, the bullies at school and all sorts of problems. Um, and it doesn't help his mom as, you know, she actually confronts the bullies on his behalf, which, of course, just makes things worse. It always does. Um <laughs> And there's a mystery here about the, with the penguin that's all set in Gotham City. The penguin gets this this mystic artifact that releases this demon thing, and oh, it's 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 all got all the classic little bits of a good uh, Jackie Chan or you know kung fu movie. Um, 
I did the translations for any of the Chinese text for us, Roma, but I kind of forget. Did? When it goes to the horizontal one, they say it's he bursts out, says I'm the monkey prince. And they say like monkey prince for millions of years. And then uh, in the when the demon shows up, it was like, who dares disturb the you know golden demon or, or something like that. So nothing was oh. revelatory or anything, but it was kind of cool. I thought you would like that. And I wish I had taken pictures of my translator and not uh, forgotten the words. Wow, cool. How, how did you do that? You just take a picture? Oh, of I just the... have an app on my phone called Google Translate, and you can hold your camera over foreign languages, and it will translate them for you. Oh, I didn't know you could do the camera bit with that. I will show you in person. I think that you will love it. Yeah, I mean, I've used Google Translate, but not that way. Cool. Yeah, you can literally just hold it over a thing. I had, okay, I liked this. I think it was well-paced. I liked the characters. I did make, you know, sort of need to remember, like, okay, I like Jean and Yang. This is an anthropomorphic DC character. And that Django <laughs> did say that like that, that does fit in my mind. Like, I don't, you know, I don't really like when they bring the pantheons of gods into comic continuity. And I, in general, just yeah. like superheroes are hard for me to navigate with like animal stuff, like even beast boy, boy, I don't love, but I mean, I like him, but the, the animal powers, this is good. Django, there's some fart cloud stuff that happens. It's very good. I got two, two weird things that happened in the beginning. It starts with a flashback. I feel like I'm being Django right now. Oh my gosh. Um, I just don't believe the bone could have cut through the umbilical cord. <laughs> um, just saying, guys. Uh, in this bone. one, right at the, like, in the beginning flashback, he walks out and Batman is beating up his parents and Batman says, there's a child in the house? And I'm like, Batman knows there's a child in the house. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. No yeah, kid is true. coming out of a door and Batman's like, what? And then second, <laughs> yeah. when he meets the, the, the janitor, and who uh -huh. drinks the soda and then burps around him. And then he has these burp clouds that won't stop following him like smoke. He goes into his room and his mom knocks on the door and she's like, are you smoking? And he's like, no way. I would never do that. And she's like, well, you are, you know, a teen. It makes sense. You would want to experiment. Well, maybe, maybe your dad and I could go get something reliable and we could all try it. And I'm like, did this mom just propose going to buy legal marijuana for her young <laughs> adolescent son to smoke with the family so that he's not doing it off the street yeah. and that was weird to me oh really that that's really strike... really young to be getting a kid to smoke weed well how old is he? he's in high school by this point isn't he or is he in middle school i can't tell i mean probably like a freshman or a sophomore in high school he still okay. shouldn't be smoking weed at that age no but it didn't strike <laughs> you're me as... old <laughs> it, yeah it didn't strike no didn't... i'm a stoner and i know what it can do to your brain <laughs> it didn't strike me as weird because you know, my mom, not quite that directly, but she told me like when I was in high school, I forget which grade, but yeah, if I want to do pot or something, maybe let my parents know because my dad had friends and they smoked when they were. And since you did just refer to it as doing pot, I can trust that you didn't really <laughs> ever do it. Not um, with them. Not her, with them, no. <laughs> her yeah, no, I've seen you stone. Uh, her <laughs> line is Django. Um, I still want you to be safe. Tell you what, let me get something from a trustworthy source. Then maybe this weekend, your father, you and I can. And he responds, yeah, that sounds fun, mom. Okay, bye. I'm just going to finish up alone in here. Like, I'm just going to get, I'm going to finish getting stoned alone in here. And you sounds can like just he wants to whack off to me. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. What struck me as weird about it is, what's his mom just totally like trying to be hip? Because I mean, how can she look at these white, fluffy puffball clouds and mistake that somehow for, for marijuana? cigarette smoke or something well, you think about what a cloud is you know like think about a wispy cloud a I mean, cloud right I you mean, know? these like, look like these look like clouds like straight out of dragon ball z <laughs> well yeah but how do you draw a cloud you know you oh, do it like a, this 
How do you draw a clown? How do you draw a clown? <laughs> you got to get a dog in the room first. You got to get your dog? dog stoned. Draw the dog. Get shaky. Looks like also he needs to like jump through a pool to go to Monkey Prince Land. I don't mean to be insensitive. He just has to jump through a pool to go through this water veil. And then there's two pages of needing to have the book horizontal like this, and then it goes back to normal. And I just oh, I hate that type Nothing of thing. You comic. have said has made me regret my decision to read New Burn instead. It was good. Oh, well, well, you can it read it good. Both. See, I, yeah. I, I even though I <laughs> I get annoyed if a whole issue is like that, but those yeah. two pages I liked. Because it fitted into the Idea. mystical mystical journey, you go through the mystic portal, and then you're in the other realm. Yeah, and I and I love the 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 e sound effect that becomes yeah. kind of a wall separating them, and then we and that's the first time we get to see uh see the monkey. Well, that's the monkey king that he sees there. Yeah, Sun Wukong, which last week I think I referred to Hanuman, which is the Indian version of the monkey king, but Sun Wukong is the actual monkey king. I think it was good. I think it was well-written. I think it was well-paced. I didn't love the art, but I think it was totally fine. And I think that I really loved just the inclusion of Chinese culture into this without at all feeling like he was beating you over the head with it. And I think that Gene Luen Yang is consistently great at doing that. And, uh, you know, he's won a lot of awards and there's a lot of prestige around his name. So it makes sense that he's allowed to do that sort of stuff. But I would love to see other creators given the same affordance that he is offered to sort of like embed a little bit more of non monoculture into their books. So mm. I, I think it was, I think it was really good. I gave it an 8.5, but I, nice. I, Django really did hit the nail on the head for me. It, I don't particularly like anthropomorphic animal characters in a superhero context. That's a weird barrier for me. It's just <laughs> not, it makes it hard for me to fit pantheons of power and everything in there. Yeah, like, does he have monkey strength? And if he I, what, does, could he beat Batman? Well, he's agile yes. as shit. Yeah, he's like looking very, very monkeyed out. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's the monkey prince. He's the son of the monkey king, which so we don't know yet about his power levels because monkey king has all sorts of in, in his legends and like journey to the West. He has like at some point he he has his own powers and his magic staff, which is something Goku also has. Goku's totally totally based on oh, the monkey king. The entire. So Dragon Dra Django, Dragon Ball Z, my favorite thing is almost explicitly like it is explicitly lifted from journey to the west which is a uh, roman when did that show up oh geez. the classic chinese <laughs> japanese like asian yeah, uh, the fable like it's maybe fifth an century i don't know yeah, so like <laughs> the monkey century. king and then and dragon ball z is all taken from that so the clouds the young boy mm -hmm. the staff like the power uh the tail everything mm -hmm. um even the, so, even the names sun wukong and sun, sun goku. Go goku which i think i read earlier today or yesterday that uh i think it's something like goku is just like the chinese uh translation of wukong the, interesting the, the or the japanese goku is the japanese version of the chinese wukong and i believe san is just a way to honorarily distinguish like man or person or family mm. so i think that yeah. there's lots of like san whatever but yeah. um what'd you give it roman i give it a 10 nice I gave it a I gave it a full cud. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know I, what? We keep this bucket in the middle of the table for a reason <laughs> for you to drop your cud plug in. So you put your cud right there. Looks like we got -tang! looks like we got a cud in the bucket. Nom, nom, nom. Nope, you can't. Once once a cud has come out, you cannot re you cannot recut a cud. No, that was me. That was the first cut. Oh, okay, sorry. You were cutting. okay. I One forgot you're I able to have multiple cuds, whereas <laughs> I am. I have. A, I demand a refactory period between my cuds. <laughs> One of the things I loved about this is 
toward the end, it really gets into the mischievousness of, of the monkey King monkey. He's Prince. a little monkey boy. Yeah. Yeah. And I love his costume. I love his insignia. Cause it's not the typical superhero insignia. It's, it's an M, but it's in a stylized cloud and it's colorful and it just looks happy and fluffy. Cause it's a fluffy cloud and Batman shows up at the end, Batman and Robin, and they confront each other. And it's some big mischievous thing where, a typical monkey story where a big mischievous thing happens where his opponent tries to strike him and is shocked at the outcome. And, and Batman's like, like what? I was aiming for the stick. <laughs> yeah. He cuts his head off. I think any, anybody in their teens to 20, that's looking to come in and check out some comic books to check out monkey Prince. I, I think that it's right up that alley in a wonderful way. And it is not exclusive to that, but I, it immediately strikes me in that same, like Superman smashes the clan vibe of a really good all ages book. So excited for that. Yeah. I give it an 8.5. Yeah. And I just want to mention and another just cool thing about it. The entire creative team, everybody involved is, Asian American. And I love that they had this, like the actual alphabetical, like spelling, you know, I, I guess I know more about Japanese. So I was thinking to say the kanji equivalent, but yeah, in, in, in Chinese here, they use like, I love the, the, the alphabet as well as their English written names. That is mm-hmm. one of just many instances that I really liked what Jin Lu and Yang does in terms of embedding more culture in these books. And they oftentimes have, so he's, he yeah. really is wonderful. I think he's a, he's a treasure. Roman, we're going to center on you one more time before we get on to our tummy time before we all roll around on our little tummy outer time. bellies and just sort of have our perfect little oval session. Um, <laughs> you read Fantastic Four Reckoning War, and I just wanted to have you tell me what it's about because Dan Slott says it's a ways in the making. He's been working on it for a number of years. It's a Fantastic Four crossover thing. And I, when Dan Slott says stuff like that, it goes in one ear for me and out the other. So I would just love <laughs> some updates on what Dan Slott's up to with the Marvel Universe and how soon is he going to be out of here? Woof. Sorry. I like the man. I like the man. I just some don't particularly like it. Yeah, yeah just... the Silver Surfer book was good. Yeah, I liked his Spider-Man stuff. His Silver Surfer stuff was excellent. Um, that said, I I, oh, I hate it when people start off saying that said. That said, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a real piss bucket. No cut here. It, it was a it was it was it was a little hard for me to get through. A bucket of butt. I mean, I, I mean yeah, I like Dan Slot's great. Some of my favorite convention memories are just hanging out talking with him. Um, but you know, this is it's a setup for another big Marvel event. You know, it's cool that Uatu the Watcher has been restored and Nick Fury is working for him, um, doing doing a thing. And the beginning of this, uh, the Badoons show up, they destroy the moon, they destroy Earth's moon. So it causes, causes chaos on Earth, of course, and sets off these events that are going to lead into this thing called the Reckoning War, which picks up threads from like all of Dan Slott's Marvel books he's ever written, apparently, because two characters show up in the midst of all this um, justice, peace and justice, love who are, who are from the time variant authority, as we've recently seen in Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're referring to events in a scene, apparently from she Hulk volume two, number three from 2005. Oh, Dan slots run that Dan slot wrote. Yeah. So he's tying everything he ever wrote 
for Marvel into this series, apparently. So that's how okay, because he it, there's like an advertisement. It's like it's 23 years in the making, and it's, I was just like, what? What has been threaded that long? <laughs> yeah, and it's big cosmic disaster stuff. The Badoon or you know Watcher Badoon Silver Surfer. Um, Silver Surfer goes into this over space where the cosmic beings all hang out, and oh no, eternity is dying. You know, again, I'm like, and that that panel is like, come on, eternity is dying like every other day. I mean. <laughs> He's the weakest embodiment of everything there is that ever existed. <laughs> I love that. Um, Eternity is the weakest embodiment of all existence that's ever existed. Although what I'll say is I do think Dan Slott writes that stuff pretty well. Like the, I think the silver server issue I loved was like the eternity bit where they, he touches fingers to have them travel and that was outside so of Al cool. Ewing drawing, writing that, but yeah. Yeah. And there's some cool art in this. There's just a lot of that. Maybe it's just because it's the alpha issue and it has to establish all the, all this stuff for people that haven't read a billion of these type of stories. But for me, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, there's that point And there's this point. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll read the other issues probably. He does do some cool stuff with the watchers and what the, what and who the watchers were before they became watchers. So we see some, some new bits of prehistory there um, and why there's these conflicts. And there's a cool Reed Richards thing at the end where, because he used the watchers device to fill in some gaps in his knowledge his eyes are all glowing white with Kirby dots mm. surrounding his head. And he now has maybe ultimate knowledge that might destroy him. If there's one person that should have ultimate knowledge, it's Reed Richards. What do you give it, yeah. Roman? And I will be asking for more Reckoning War uh, tidbits in the same way that I did with that other Dan Slot associated mm. Celestial Messiah thing. Yes, I gave it a seven. What was that last one? Sorry, not like that last Dan Slot blood event. Uh, what was that? Empire? Empire. That's what it was. Empire. Yeah. Oh, hmm. the Empire. Uh, well, thanks for being my the canary in the coal mine for me, buddy. Sure. Um, one thing I really like about you is that when I talk to you, I can use it as a distraction to get Django's buckshot. Go, tummy time. One minute and thirty seconds on the clock. <laughs> oh my god, that is so quick. A minute and thirty seconds. Well, what can I say? Good in a minute and 30 seconds. Serial was good. Serial number 10, final issue. You should get the trade paperback volume one, and then you should get the trade paperback volume two. Gorgeous art, good comic. I also read X Lies of Wolverine number two. I like number one a whole lot more than I like number two. In fact, I found myself lost and confused and a little bit angry at number two. I also read a comic called New Masters by Shobo and Shoff. Um, it follows a young lady in Africa who is like poor and goes on adventures to find this element that she sells in the market in order to survive. And uh, it took me most of an issue to realize that the whole thing was being written in kind of a, like a phonetic dialogue. And I kind of had to go back and reread it because at first I thought that I was just, my brain was broken and I didn't, I wasn't able to understand what was happening. But turns out that uh, if you say it with the right accent, these characters each have a very different voice and the, the world is pretty awesome. I like the setup. I like the characters in here. Um, I could use a little more bright colors in order to sort of differentiate things from the background and the foreground. But the uh, the book on balance is pretty freaking solid. Hang on, my phone received a text message right as that alarm would have gone off and oh. it canceled out the alarm. So cereal. I'm going to give this issue a nine. I'm going to give the series a 10. X Lies of Wolverine number two. Gosh, I really like the first one. I really like the second issue, which was actually number one of X Death of Wolverine, but I'm going to give this one a six. And uh, New Masters, I'm going to give a seven and a half. And I think that it's 
probably a 10 for a lot of people who are going to pick it up. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff, guys. Um, Jeff, if you had a minute and a half to talk about comic, go. Uh, I read X Lives of Wolverine number two, and I liked it. It sounds like a whole lot more than Django. I think that there's some of the most single, like the most gorgeous single full page panels that I've seen in comics the last couple of weeks in that issue. Uh, so I really one of the prettiest books, I think, on the stands currently. I read Sabretooth number one. If anyone came into the store on Wednesday and felt like I was endorsing it, I apologize. As I've sat with that book, I don't think I liked it very much. Um, I don't think I misrepresented that, but I wanted to see more positive in it than I actually saw in it. I don't, didn't think it was great. I'm reading Batman, Joshua Williamson. I think I'm the person that's reading Batman and enjoying it right now. Uh, I've enjoyed the transition from Jimmy TIV to the Williamson. I think this is good. If anyone wants to come into the shop and talk to me about it, I'd love to. I think the art's really gorgeous. And I think it's a pretty good Batman. Um, I also talked, read the, well, not all of, but the official image timeline I just want to talk about. This is a book that came out. It's kind of expensive. It's not even a comic book, but it is actually a cover gallery, a toy gallery, and then an in-depth issue-by-issue look at the image releases that have happened since the birth of the company, because this is the 30th anniversary or something. I don't really know, but it's written with like every date that an important issue came out with a paragraph, well, not a paragraph, but a couple sentences about that issue. If you're at all into the history of comic books, or if you love image, or you like looking at how things get made, that issue is really, really interesting. It's a fascinating bit of comic book history. It's a little expensive at $7.99, but I do think that if you're the person who's like me, who likes that stuff, it's worth it for you. I don't know if that was actually a minute and a half. I set it for an hour and a half to start mm-hmm. and then just kind of had to fudge it. So if anybody's tracking this real close... Um, I, I recently... You know. I edited the podcast last week and I was flipping through, you know, doing my casual edit, just like looking at pauses and everything. And I got to a spot where there was a long pause and I went, um, which I'm known to do. And I was like, Oh, I should cut that out. Cause it's a waste of everyone's time. But then I looked, at, I was like, Oh, it's during a buckshot. I think that ruins the integrity of the tummy time buckshot. If I'm take out, you know, three seconds of a 90 second thing. So I left it in there. So I, I know what you're saying, Django, the, the same thoughts occur to me. Listen, if somebody's worried about the time it takes for you to pause, gather your thoughts, say, um, and continue, they should probably be listening to this at double speed. And at that point, you shouldn't cut anything out. Yeah, yeah. There's no cut in that situation. No, no, I no cut in this shaft. X Lives of Wolverine number two and eight. I give Sabretooth or Sabretooth a 6.5. I gave Batman a 7.5 and I gave the official image timeline a very cool. Nice. That's how I felt about that. Uh, You you were you were just a child when that image stuff started happening. I don't know a world without it. And I don't know. I and I am. I have been, you know, in my formidable time with comic books, I have been highly influenced by the art style of image. Like I cannot read spawn comics. I keep trying to, this podcast knows that I don't love the story, (laughs) but I think he, his art and that costume is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And that's like from burned into my mind from being a five-year-old going into a comic shop and just being like, what is the chain guy? You know, like the same coloring on any cover. Red, black, white, uh, you know, carnage, like all that, you know, nineties stuff. I, you know, I, I, I like to be proud and own the fact that I love that early nineties stuff, even though it's did you learn anything from it from the image book from, from the image book? Yeah. Um, well, I gotta be honest. There's a lot of text in it, so I have not finished reading it. Um, mm-hmm. but I, 
I haven't learned anything brand new yet, but again, I haven't read much of it. I, I, I wanted to talk about it. I read the, the introductions by the creators. I read the afterwards and I read some of the paragraphs or interesting moments, but they do everything from like the very, from like the first time that Jim Lee was on a Marvel comic up to very recently. So it's interesting to be like, oh, right. Yeah. That's when Saga came out. And yeah, like this is when Saga won those awards and oh, right. Sex Criminals was this date. And it's got all the dates and everything as well. So and- it's the kind of thing that, I haven't read all of yet and I don't know even know when I will, but like there's not a lot of reliable comic book historias that you can put on your shelf. And so for $7.99, I think this one did that really well. And we are kind of cheating by being uh, comic book store owners and also big fans of comic book kayfabe. Like we know a lot of that stuff, at least the stories that people have told of that. Right. And I I love it though, but I just like having a point like, oh, right. 94. That was when that, you know, this month. So Mm -hmm. Roman, how do you feel about doing your 90 second buckshot here in just about eight seconds? 90 seconds. Yes. Go to cut town, Mr. Cut town. Um, I'm going to talk about another Gene Luen Yang book over at Marvel Shang-Chi issue number eight, which is a wrap up to kind of the storyline that's been going along. It, it was just another great issue. You know, he's dealing with his, his mother's back. He's the head of the Five Weapons Society. Um, and he's fighting not only his dad, but his grandfather, who everyone thought was long dead, has shown up and is attacking them. And there's just a lot of great family dynamics and, and Chinese secret society, political histories and magic and weird dragon creatures and even a cybernetic dude. It's just a lot of fun. Um, this one might be take up all the rest of my time. The eighty, the Geiger eighty-page giant number one, a seven ninety-nine book. That you know, those these can be kind of iffy sometimes. It's an anthology book, a bunch of different stories, but almost almost every every story in this, except for maybe two of them, I really really liked, and it introduces. Um, some new characters in the expanded Geiger universe that's coming up introduces Redcoat, who's a revolution American Revolutionary War character by Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch, and who's getting his own title in sometime later in the year. That was a really good story. It introduces the origin of uh, Geiger's dog. What's the dog's name? Uh, Barney. I like dogs. Barney. Yeah. You know, it just. It's a great book. I think I gave it a uh, where I give it. Rap, give, give us all your scores. No, no, no worries on just that one right now. Oh, well, I gave I gave it a nine, and uh, Shang Chi I gave a. If I can find it on my list, I gave that an eight. You know the great thing about Geiger and introducing this new universe, the Warlords of Vegas. He's thought it out. I mean, each of the casinos has been taken can take it over by a different they're all leaning heavily into their themes like there's the Karloff which is all universal monster themed and everything and there's Milky Way the Disco Queen who's a kind of retro sci-fi but deadly femme fatale at the same time and it's just all so much fun and interesting I'd love to see like a you know an HBO Max series or something called the warlords of vegas just with storylines of all these characters because it's just <laughs> it's just fun and it's weird and it's sci-fi another title spinning out of this um is um oh, what's the guy's name the robot guy uh, he's that blows based- my mind that they're getting all these spinoffs from yeah this book, but yeah it's had a lot oh, of speculator buzz so I, I guess it makes sense oh, okay okay it's junkyard joe who's basically this universe's version of uh gi robot um but with a more i think uh spooky spin on it maybe but that's coming up too also by jeff johns and gary frank i had to 
work hard to remember if I'm caught up on this series and I still don't know for sure. I need to look at the most recent issue, but I've loved reading it. And it's kind of like melancholy and beautiful. And I haven't read this issue yet. I have two issues left in my stack. That's one of them. Um, and I feel like the most unexplored aspect of that story is the kind of like Las Vegas aspect of it. So learning mm -hmm. that this whole thing root like it's kind of based on that is really interesting to me and i want to read it yeah. and i can't wait i know that it's also kind of a speculator book but maybe probably because now there's things being green lit off of this series but um yeah which was the plan all along um but yeah this 80 page giant actually geiger has like this other than the story about his dog um he's just mentioned in the other stories there is no particular geiger story in the book and it's it's basically this is um jeff johns creating his own image superhero universe right and yeah that's what i was gonna say is this is jeff johns and gary frank like uh for some of this no sorry jeff johns sorry and Brian sorry for the Ge geiger as a series yeah. is those two yeah and that is the most like laudable creative team you could have like mm -hmm. doomsday clock. We would wait four months mm -hmm. between issues to be a part of that creative team, you know, like it, yeah. not happily, but it's Jeff Johns, one of the most novel and fun imaginations, I think in comics and Gary Frank, one of the most talented artists. So this shot has a bunch of other artists mm -hmm. on board and everything, but you know, I yeah, don't so, think you could so hang kept, your hat in a more reliable stable than those two. Yeah. And they kept the continuity because, uh, Johns and, and Frank, they do do the origin of Barney story in here. I would yeah. hope so. Yeah. The dog's what I want. <laughs> um, I haven't read that yet. I'm very excited to Roman. Thanks for telling us about that one. And on that note, I think we're probably going to get out of here. And uh, I think before we get out of here, we're going to serve you a little reminder. You can send us an email at Jeff at the comics place.com J E F F at symbol. T-H-E-C-O-M-I-C-S-P-L-A-C-E.com. I assume that there's some letters that are not getting to me because there's a spelling error or something. Yeah. Uh, the, just the sheer number of people who tell me that they've emailed us that we never see. It's got to be a typo. There's no got to be a typo. So yeah. Jeff at the comicspace.com. Get those emails in. We want to have you a part of this show. We like desperately want to have you be a part of this show. If we could stop reviewing comics and just answer emails every and week, just be a part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. We want to, we want to feed you oatmeal. Watch you chew your cud. Oatmeal or just oats in general. Uh, I think that on that note, we're probably nearing the end of this season. This wonderful road that we've had from one tummy to the other. Romans Road. Roman's ruminant road of rumens. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. And what a what a wonderful season finale we've had. A week filled with mostly eights and nines and the occasional cud bucket. We're going to create a replacement cud bucket next week. But until we do, it's been a wonderful serving you and serving you up a digestive treat. I, Jeff Figley, the first tummy, have enjoyed your presence. And I'll see you next time for something entirely new. And I... Django, the second stomach, SS, if you will. Ooh, the SS Tummet. I don't think I don't think we use the term SS since the Nazis stole it. I mean, Pokemon uh, had SSN. Yeah, you're right. 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 Okay. All right. You are always uh, right. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Uh, I, Django, double tummy, would like to thank you, dear listener, for fourth being tummy. the fourth yep. tummy. Sorry, I stepped yeah. on you. But I would like to thank you for being tummy four. You know, we should work on, we should be a collaborative partnership, you and I. We're, Quattro, we're clearly baby. good. We're clearly Quattro good at respecting the space. And Roman. Oh, uh, I'm Roman. The, yeah, the uh, the uh, 
the, the cud bucket, if you will. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> thank you all for listening. And uh, unsponsored, but Jeff personally excited. I just want to mention that John Frusciante rejoined the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the first single that they've released with him in 16 years came out today. And if you want to listen to a song by a band that I think is a pretty good band, but my favorite guitar player in the world, you could listen to Black Summer by the Red Hot Chili Peppers today. We'll see you next week. It's a little sneak peek of Jeff's Jeff's music suggestions, a comic Just, book podcast. Oh. <laughs>